Welcome to the Championship Club podcast. I'm your host, Michael Casey, and co-hosting with me is a man with over 300 Championship Rugby appearances. It's Ben Gulliver. Be sure to check us out on social media at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and head to YouTube to like and subscribe to the channel. Before we kick off today's episode, I'd like to say a big thank you to our brand new and shiny sponsor, Trojan Engineering Fabrication, part of the MFH group, and you can check them out at mfhire.co.uk. And welcome to the Championship Clubs podcast. We have just wrapped up the Penn Ultimate Round of Fixtures. I'm Michael Casey and I'm joined on the show by Ben Gulliver. Gully, it's been a you know another interesting round of fixtures, some that we probably wouldn't have expected, some resurgent sides and some big scores. Uh, what have you made of round eleven? Yeah, it's been it's been another interesting week, hasn't it? Um I think it's some of the results that, that were surprising um have happened a fair bit over the last few weeks. So like the one with Jersey, sort of, and what they've been up to, and they're up a roller coaster of a year, and having having a good result last weekend against Hartbury, it was, uh, you know, that's that's great for them, and it's like we, we've spoken about it a fair bit before about the sort of the rivalries and coming up through the league, and then Jersey have, have got one over one of their old old rivals in that sense, um, and then Cov had that great result against Jersey the week before, uh, and then they, you know, they're on the wrong end of a big one against Saris, which was. You know, it's always on the cards when you, you know, I know Sarri's had the short turnaround, but they, you know, with that, that squad they've got, they, they they doubled up, didn't they? They're big boys and they uh, they put a big score on Cov. And I think from speaking to a few people up there, it was great to have supporters back in and they all had a good day and managed to to enjoy the, enjoy the occasion against, you know, the big timers of Sarri's. Um, so well, well into Sarri's again, a lot of their boys made their, their team of the week, which is pretty standard at the moment. But there's a few other guys in and around the, ring, the league that performed really well. Um Good, good win for the Amptel on Sunday um, against against Richmond. Um, again, at home, it's a tricky place to go. And obviously, I've, I used to play there, and you kind of know when a team arrives. Sometimes, are you going to are you going to perform? And I think speaking to a few up there, it was they, they kind of knew they were going to win for a tough game, but they fancied it. So, great result for for those guys. And a couple of mentions, people retiring. So, sort of Billy Johnson, um, who I played with, who's, who's captain of the club, retiring from the game. Who's a He's a great, great guy, stalwart of Nat One, really, and then managed to get his swan song in the championship. So a big, a big shout out to Billy and, and fair play to him, who's combined a successful career off the field with with playing a really high standard of rugby. So good on to Billy, and then you got obviously Dave Ward, who's moving on to Bristol Women as well. So you know it's nice to see those guys get a good send off. And the the other one was the Bedford Not- Nottingham game, wasn't it? Which was a thriller. Not Notts have turned the corner massively, and. Uh, the young young scrum half kicking goals, which I love to see as a nine kicking goals, very French French like. But yeah, young Dolly knocking it over, and the clips going around on on, on social media of the celebration of Nottingham win. It just shows how much it meant to those boys, and a great result for them. And then there's obviously the the, the one game that we've missed is the is the one that we'll we'll intro in a minute when with our guest this week. But it was by all accounts a, a bit of a ding dong. But I'll let you in tradition with my poor handover let you introduce our guest and uh, we can talk a little bit more about that in detail sure i'll quickly correct myself from the start of the broadcast it was round nine of the weekend not 11 giving a couple of extra games to the teams but as you say uh, we're delighted uh, to be joined on this uh, this week's podcast by none other than uh, elian Trailfinders, director of rugby ben ward ben thank you very much for for coming on the show it's a pleasure to have you um Let's let's just kick off with a bit of a review from Saturday. Um, of course, uh, another big win for your guys at home against against Donny. Um, what has been the takeaways from the from the win? 
It was a really good game. Um, Donny came out of the blocks absolutely flying. Um, everything you expect, really, that we'd got from them earlier in the season. They were physical. Um, I think um, it, it's interesting how their teams actually evolved with some of those older guys um, coming towards the end of their careers, but some of these new younger guys really stepping up. Um, and that's really apparent in terms of how Bodes has got them playing, really well drilled. Um, and for the first 20 minutes, they really had us on the ropes. Um we then started to get a bit more of a foothold in the game um, and probably levelled it up around half time. I think for us, it was about getting momentum in our carries. And once we got the front foot, it it became a lot um, easier, easier for us to assert ourselves on the game. Um, started the second half. And again, Donny came out the block, scored first. Um, and after that, I just felt we, a couple of our guys that came off the bench, I, I certainly think made an impact. We just grabbed a bit more control within the game. Um, we maybe didn't have the balance right in our pack first half in terms of the amount of guys that were there to try and negate Donny's physicality. But I, I probably got that wrong slightly and forgot about the mobility that we'd want to have on our pitch um, to really get that balance right. So we came through it well in the end. Um, but I think certainly going forward, Donny are going to be one of the teams next year to look out for. Ben, just um, how, how have you found it sort of this, this last year? With Obviously, this, the, the season's a lot shorter and the different pressures that you've you may have found this year and previous last season as well, where you're kind of in that position now where you're expected to win these games. How, how are you managing the the pressures in the squad and, and, and that comes with, with being Ealing trail finders at the moment? Yeah, it's a really good question and something we've probably struggled with over the last couple of years on that journey. Um, yeah. I remember two years ago, we were probably still labelled with that same tag, but we were losing games that we weren't expected to lose, but we weren't ready to win those games. Um Certainly, um, I remember, again, two years ago, we'd spoken about putting a real challenge in for the league. and We went down to Cornish Pirates, first game of the season, a bit like Sarri's did, and we got absolutely turned over. Um, later that year, again, we went on a good run, but then we lost away at Richmond and they were better than us on the day. And I guess for us, we've, we, we've really learned just to focus on what's going to happen next week, try and give ourselves some tangible goals within the games um, and really try and not, not look too far ahead. Um, a lot of that comes down to the purpose of how we train. I think we train pretty hard as a group and some of the guys um, when they join us find that quite difficult because we train with a lot of intensity. Um, so trying to get that right. But the last year has been more difficult probably with everything. And I think all of your guests have said this, but with everything being put back and having nothing to aim for, um, actual tangible goals in training have been quite difficult. We were lucky with some of our Richmond and Bristol fixtures that happened first and then the Trailfinders Challenge Cup. Um, and I don't think it's probably probably ourselves, Donny and Saracens, who played in that competition. We're sort of the top three sides in the league and maybe we just had the best preparation as well. So obviously the, the win at the weekend uh, cemented the place in the playoffs, Ben. Uh, and I know we just alluded to before we came on air, it's obviously giving you a, a little bit of a chance now to take stock before the playoffs. Assessing where you are this season, has uh, everything gone as you'd have hoped? What's been your sort of pre-postseason review of, of the year so far? Um, I think, again, strange year. I think the cup was really enjoyable for all three teams that were involved because at that time um, we had nothing else to really go for and it gave us some meaningful um, meaningful games. And obviously for us as a club to be able to beat Saracens twice, a team who have obviously been at the top of European rugby, albeit without all their internationals, it was still a good side. Um, that gave us a lot of confidence um, and gave confidence to the players. Um, I think then leading into the game, knowing that it was a short season, we spoke about it being a bit of a sprint. 
um, coming out the blocks um, really fast. And I, I just think our players were hungry to play from going to maybe not expecting a season um, to thinking everything was gone. I think it was more relief and actually, um, I guess, being very thankful to having that season to actually play for. For all the work we've done over the last six months, we had something tangible to go after. Um, I think it's probably helped us a little bit this year um, and probably some of the other sides as well. But us in particular, we don't have a massive crowd. So going away from home, to places like Coventry, Bedford, Pirates without a crowd. I don't know if that's made it harder for those teams at home when the game's tighten in the balance. Um, that crowd generally gives them a bit of a lift, whereas we've been able to pull away in the 55th minute, 60th minute of games um, by just being relentless at what we do. But sometimes the crowd can pull that in. Yeah, and I, ju- I was just thinking, you've, you've spoken about it being a being a sprint and we, we spoke just before we, we came on that you've got a, you've got a gap now until you, until your next game. So, uh, you know, what's, what's sort of the plan for that? If you've got a bit of time off for them, giving the boys a rest, it's a well done. Uh, and then it's obviously focusing on the, the challenge ahead. Yeah. This week, the guys aren't in at all. Um, they've got some um, time off away from the club. Um, not that there's a huge amount they can do at the moment, but they've got some time off away. Um, we'll come back in next week and we'll start um, preparing for the playoffs and then um, probably taper off a little bit leading into that um, first game because one thing we knew from last time we played Saracens, it's just the guys aren't used to playing of games of that intensity. So to actually play them twice in two weeks, how we manage that will be really important and making sure the guys are fresh physically and mentally is really important as well. Yeah, that sort of emotional sort of challenge and, you know, the control the boys have got to have because they'll, they'll all be thinking of it as players. I, I've, I was lucky enough to play in a cup, two champ finals and it's as underdogs, one at Bedford and, and, and the other at Pirates and it's, we didn't have the week off before, we were pretty much straight into it but sort of managing managing the group then is is, is, is a tricky job, isn't it, for you, the coaches but also the individuals as players. It's, it's an exciting thing but you've got to try and keep the reins on, haven't you? It's... Uh, it must be a, it must be challenging and a new experience because obviously we haven't had playoffs for a while now, so it's it's going back into that system as well, which I'm a fan of. I'm not sure what your your thoughts on that. Yeah, look, I I, I can see both um, sides of it. I think for someone like Saracens, they'd want to be preparing now for next season rather than be um, going into a playoff. Whereas the favourite, um, it makes it a lot harder for the underdogs. The playoffs are great. Um, it, yeah. I, I think it's interesting for us how we how we manage that, but how we approach it as well for us. There's probably nothing to lose. Um, normally within the playoffs, um, like let's be honest, Saracens aren't meant to be in our league this year. And if you probably look, um, someone said it to me the other week, that there's different levels and you've got championship. You then go up to premiership. There's another step up to European rugby. You then go a step up to international. And then at the top of that, there's British Lions. And Saris have got five, six British Lions in that squad. Um, that it's, um, it's it's a huge challenge. And something I, I guess all of us championship sides have really embraced and enjoyed this year. Um, but how we manage that and we don't... You can easily lose a game against Saris as we found out at their place in the first 20 minutes. Um, and you have to manage those moments really well. <laughs> I was going to mention a little bit about... Um, just about Saris because we don't... We have not often spoke... We had Baz on here a while ago and it's... You know, they've actually brought a lot to the league. You know, the, you know their, their social media interaction, their, their supporters, their proper rugby fans. And I think one of the, obviously they're in the league falsely, but it's been a shame we've not been able to see those guys, their supporters in the league and in and around it and really embracing it. And Georgie, my wife, she was up at the Sarries women's game last weekend and they were they were all gutted, the supporters, that they haven't had a chance to come down to Vallis Way or go down to the Pirates. But I think... Although there's not been supporters, I think they've added a great deal to the league and I think it's credit to those guys as well. And uh, the final will be a good showpiece for, for, for them as well. 
Yeah, I think it's a really good point because I think they get, don't get me wrong, we, I, I can't comment on what happened um, and, and why they're down here, but they've been really enjoyable to work with. Um, they're certainly a team over the last three to four years that we've really looked up to, um, how they how they play, how they've won these trophies, um, but also the way they probably, um, the way they train as well. And we've had a few training days down there and their coaches and players have always been um, very warm, welcoming, more so than a lot of other clubs that we've been to. Um, so again, I can only speak very highly of them and um we're excited about the challenge of trying to take them on whilst i think uh, i completely agree that the value that saracens have brought to league has been quite obvious is there a, a little bit ben obviously as you're going into the sort of the final knockings of the season there's a very very strong chance that ealing are going to finish top of the league in any of the last three seasons that would have mean promotion to the premiership and obviously this year because of the way it's changed uh, that's not the case do, do you ever look at it a little bit like that to say you know if, if, if this had been a normal season it could have been our year or do you accept the fact that it's not been a normal season obviously it's uh, we've played far less games um i th- well, i think look at the league at the moment i expect saris to probably finish top now because i think we probably points difference wise haven't got as much as we needed to over the last um couple of games but like, i think it's been um if it if it had been the other way would would saris have maybe called on a few more of the internationals earlier on um did it allow them to build into the season I'm not so sure, but yes, yeah, a strange old year. I, I feel that for us as a club, we're getting closer and closer um, or we're around that bottom end of that premiership level at the moment. Um, Sarri's for me are towards the top end of that premiership. And that's um, something that we're obviously striving towards and looking at the stories of your Bristol's and your Exeter's, their clubs where they're at at the moment, that we're very much hoping that we can go on that path as well. Yeah, that, that's that's my fault, uh, looking at a fixture before last weekend's uh, points difference, changing it up a little bit. Uh, ben, on this show, one of the things that we've been very keen to highlight and that we've done is it was look at um, sort of both players' journey and how they've come into the league and their involvements with it and the relevance that it's played in their career. Um, and I want to do that that deep dive again with yourself because I think it's fair to say that your, your playing career and the... The recent journey in which Ealing have been on are, are you know, pretty inextricably linked. That the two go hand in hand. Of course, you uh, played as fly half for Ealing for several seasons, and you've watched the side go promoted from Tier Six, obviously up to to the top end of the Championship. Now, if you were man indulgence, just talking us through a bit of that journey and sort of the the changes that you've seen, or some of the changes that you've seen with the club in that time. Yeah, I'd be delighted to. Um, my journey started at Ealing Trail Funds. Actually, um, I was. At the time, I was released from when, when academies back then were a sort of under 21 and under 19 academy. So I'd grown up in the minis and youth at London Irish, um, gone into their academy, um, was released there. And at the time, I was at St Mary's University. We were playing the equivalent of, I guess, the uh, it was Boosa back then, but the Bucks Championship and were quite high up um, challenging for honours in that. So at the time, our, our then um, university director of rugby or coach was at Ealing Trailfinders and they'd just come into a little bit of money with Trailfinders coming on board with Mike Gooley. Um, and at the time at university, we were being offered um, retainers and match fees to go and um, play a bit of rugby in London 2 and London 3. And um, it was purely beer money. And we ended up with around 30 to 40 guys from St Mary's Uni all down there for a bit of beer money where we'd play on a Wednesday, play on a Saturday and have some beers Wednesdays, Saturdays, Sundays, Mondays sometimes. So it was it. The journey started then. And as the club went up the leagues, the investment became more and more. And it was very semi-professional all the way up to some fantastic, um, I remember journeys in National 2 against uh, going down to Dings Crusaders. Um, it took us probably four attempts to win there. 
Um, we always love the trains to Bladen, to Tyndale, because you'd always have a good, um, a few beers on the train on the way back. So it was a really good journey. And with a really close group of friends um, for four or five years, all the way up to when we got promoted for the first time into the championship. Um, the championship was really different back then as well, because pretty much every side was full time. There may have been one or two that weren't, but it was more, it was more towards that way. Um so we went up to the championship and it was a real rude awakening for us. I remember um, I was sort of a player coach at the time and our second game in that division, we were away at Rotherham. Um, and I remember uh, my housemate at the time, he was in the scrum and the scrum got drilled so far back that he ended up as a hooker just into the boardings and his parents were stood above him watching him who'd come down from Newcastle. And I remember just catching his eye thinking, we, we, don't do, we shouldn't be in this league type thing. Um, and that year, it took us a long time to really probably we didn't win for 11 games. Uh, we ended up winning at Jersey away on our first attempt, um, first, first win of the season there. And we ended up um, coming off the bottom of the league at the penultimate game of the season. We won away at Plymouth. And then last game of the season, um, Jersey beat Bedford away and we ended up getting relegated. We lost to Rotherham at home, albeit picking up two points. It was at that point um, our then director of rugby left and I sat down with um, Mike Gooley from Trailfinders at the time. And we just sat and where did we want to go as a club, really? And at that point, he wanted to, he said, I want to establish ourselves as a championship side. So budgets were put together. We, we, we decided to turn fully professional. And that was probably the end of though, that real tight group of guys that have been together for a certain period of years. We dropped down to National One and over the next four years, we got promoted back to the championship. But we had such or we have had such big turnover over the years that we've tried to make that step up every single year. And that's been hard to build that team spirit to get guys that have played over 100 games for the club back into that environment. And it's taken us a while. We've had uh, we've had some success. And even in that first year back in the championship, we only just survived. Um, I think it was Mosley that may have gone down at the end of the season um, that we just managed to um, just managed to stay up. And even that year, I remember them beating Bristol um, second or third last game of the season until the last minute kick from um, Sheedy, I think won the game for Bristol. And again, it, was, it probably goes into the thing of promotion, relegation, the excitement involved in that and the pressure that comes with it. But we then started to move up the leagues and turning professional, what I probably didn't appreciate as much was you can get professional players, but if you don't have the infrastructure, it's going to mean nothing. And we've probably gone from having one or two full-time staff to now 30 to 40 full-time staff to go along with the players. And that's been the big thing that for me has moved us along in our journey. Yeah, I I can just touching back on the the change and it was it was noticeable because I'd have been playing when you first came into the league and and then I think at Bedford we went down for a pre-season game down at your place and there was just a difference in the in the whole squad and I think you gave us a bit of a hiding to be fair and it was just a a different type of player that you'd you'd invested in um, and you could see a real real change so is that that's obviously come from your conversations from getting relegated and and that's when the plan has come in place from from that first year in a champ. I'm assuming. Yeah, so that was the first game we'd have played um, with that new squad where we'd turn. And even that year, we were, although we'd turned professional, we were half and half. So we'd had half the squad that were fully professional, half the squad weren't. So we were stuck in that situation of you do a bit of trading in the day, but then you've got to repeat it in the evening for the guys that are coming down. And it took probably three years to make that change. And as you then move up the leagues, you can attract better players. You can develop them better with more staff, better S&C, better facilities. We invested in two 3G pitches. 
Um, and to be honest, the owner's been brilliant because the facilities have, have never stopped, even during the last 12 months during the pandemic. Um, he's pushed ahead with a £4.2 million indoor training centre, which has been which is going up at the moment. Um, down at Brunel University, which is where our academy is based, there's a 1.8 million facility being put in with a 3G pitch and a new gymnasium down there. So it's all that stuff off the field has enabled us to probably push on to um, where we are now. I do have to admit, every time sort of come down to the Trailfinder Sports Ground, it's it's got bigger from the season previous. So you can def I can definitely relate to what you're saying there. Be interested, then, Ben. You talked about when yourself and Mike Gooley sat down about uh, this vision, and it was to at that time establish yourself as a championship team. Was that you driving Mike to that, or Mike driving you? How did that conversation? How did those ideas sort of first? get vocalised and uh, who was the driving force? Um, I, I, honestly, I don't really know, to be honest. We, um, he's not the type of guy where, you, um, where, where you're where you going to go in there and um, start demanding stuff, put it that way. Um, it's It was more just as a player and being at the club, maybe that helped me that I'd always had a beer with him after the game. I felt it was my, as a player that he was paying our wages. It was always the case of the players to go and speak to him, make sure that um, he enjoyed the game and... Um, as someone who's um, been as, as successful as he had has in business, he'd always have opinions on how he feels the game should be played. And as a fly half, I was always um, willing to listen. I didn't always agree, but always willing to listen. And when we sat down, as I say, he's he's always been successful in most things that he's done. So he wanted to be successful. I wanted to be successful. And it was just a case of, right, how do we get there? And he was brilliant. He, it didn't take him long. He was just like, I'm in, let's go. How does the um, so you obviously you've got is it thirty to forty staff now? Yeah, and your role as director of rugby, and we've I've spoken to a few people about directors of rugby at different clubs is is a different remit for all of you. I just wondered how how that works for you, and you know, are you solely rugby, or is it is it all the other areas as well? So the Brunel, you know, the new women's program, the community, like where do you sit sit in all of that as well? Just that yeah. So I'm I'm extremely lucky at the club. Um, one thing with our owner is he doesn't like uh, maybe all the committees and all the boards that you get at other clubs. So effectively, I I speak to the owner if we want to do something, we do it. There is no board. There is nothing in between us. Um, I would sit above everything. So community, finance, um, women's programme, academy, first team, all sit under my remit. Um, they're my responsibility and I'm extremely lucky to have a, an incredible group of staff that um, help me out with a lot of those areas. We've also got um, Sean Justice, who used to be the DOR at Roslyn Park, who's, I suppose, works here for trail finders on a more co um, commercial basis, looking at um, the actual sports ground itself, which is under a separate company. So, He's extremely um, useful and he attends all of our RFU meetings. And then from a rugby front, I'm heavily involved in the coaching from the attack and the backside. But again, we have a number of coaches that um, if I'm not there, it wouldn't make any difference anyway. The players are pretty good and know what's expected and these coaches can take on the reins anyway. It's quite a uh, quite a unique situation, but I think that's it's the same with a lot of directors of rugby, isn't it? It's the, but the... Dealing dealing model is is very unique in in world rugby. I'd, I'd say not just in this country. So, and it's you know obviously it's an amazing job that you guys have done over the past few years. Certainly different. It's certainly different. I'd say. You're listening to the Championship Clubs podcast with me, Michael Casey, and Ben Gulliver. Check us out on social media at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. We've uh, we spoke before. Obviously, we've had a couple of guys who've been involved in the Ealing setup. We had Guy Thompson on, and then also Pete Lydon. And uh, we talked about what you, there's been built down there. 
Um, so obviously we've 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 done we've talked about it a little bit here. So you've got the partnership now with Brunel. The women's um, program is fully up and running. The facility side of things is you know it's it's looks very very impressive. Just away from trail finders, and I'm sure we'll talk about the the future vision for the first team. What what plans are in the offing for the the sort of the whole wider program down at Ealing Trail Finders um, just not talking about the men's first team for the moment yeah look, um, I could probably talk it for ages about it so I find it exciting for us as a club we've only been professional now this is our seventh season so we're so new and everything we always sit here and say well let's why not try something um, it may not work but let's try it so things with our community program that's now growing with more staff becoming on board and getting more funding from Sport England to do various different projects Within that as well, there's a big emphasis for us on growing a fan base, which I guess if you live in Cornwall, you go and watch Cornish Pirates. Coventry have a massive fan base where they are as being the primary sort of team in Coventry that's from the city. Um, So for us in London, that's one of our biggest challenges um, and how we grow that. Obviously, what's moving out um, from just down the road made a bit of a difference. But that's where our community team, we're starting to grow. Our academy is different because we we've not been allowed a premiership academy because we're not a premiership shareholder. So in some ways, the benefits of that is we're not restricted by regions like the other premiership academies are. So we can go all around the world if we want to, to recruit players, which we're trying to do. Obviously the best ones in this country generally are in that that pathway, but some get missed out. Um, We have a very strong partnership with Henley college now, which is our under 18s program, um, men, men and women. Um, And same with Brunel university, men and women, um, We brought on board this year as well a player development manager, so very similar to the role that the RPA would do, but rather than someone coming in one or two days a week, they're there full time. Um, um, Lou Meadows, who works for us in that area, she'll spend time with the players, get to know them, try and find out what they need to do, not just to develop, um, I guess, looking at future careers, but how they develop themselves. So some examples would be um, in the last couple of weeks, she's done some, um, I guess, some interview work with players, some mock interviews. For some of them, it's getting them into a company um but really trying to look after even the players that come through our academy that aren't going to not everybody's going to make it so when they leave university we want to make sure that they we've given them the best experience on the pitch we've given them an education and that's part of our success with our academy that they do get that education and then on the flip side how can we help them with what they do next as well and keep in touch with us and they stay part of our journey and we're now looking into apprenticeships and other routes of what we can do so that academy for us is absolutely huge and integral for us having sustainability going forward. I think the the with Lou coming on board, I think you're leading the, the way not only in the champ but across across prem clubs because as you say, the RPA and that's a different subject altogether because we are quite passionate about player welfare and my experiences through it. And if you've got someone on site that's full time looking after those development plans for players and you know the the day to day the the interview process, the writing of a CV, the, you know, what, where, where do I apply for? Where do I want to go with my life? What do I do with my family? All of these sort of questions that you have as a, as an adult growing up, don't you, as a rugby player growing up, and you've got someone on site there to help with that. And we may not always have the answers, but there's someone there for the players and a, a doorway that's always open is, 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 is great to see, mate. That's like it. That's, that's huge. It's a, it's a really, it's a really amazing thing that you've done. And I think, Players going in there are really fortunate to have 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 Lou there on board supporting that. It's yeah, and, and it's all part of a bigger picture of, as I say, that sustainability longer term. But we're just advertising for a secondary role in that department now that will come on board to help out because we want it to grow. 
but it's easy. I think nowadays when people talk about coaching and when they talk about managing players, um, people often talk about you, you need to show that you care. And it's, it's, it's a really easy thing to say. And it's a really easy thing for clubs to say, we want to do this because we care. But actually, maybe we're in a luckier position that with the owner we've got financially, we can put those people in place to really make sure that the players do know that we care. And um, yes, obviously, ultimately, I'm judged on results at the weekend. But even this year, I'm extremely proud of the way the players have conducted themselves over the past 12 months with everything that's gone on. Um, and we've probably not been able to show as much of um, the team bit, the, the, the team bonding side of it, or those type of areas where we can normally reward the players because of all the COVID regulations. So um, to find other ways of helping the players, and when they leave here, they feel that they can still call on us, and they come down and watch us, hopefully, and they still support us in the same way that you support the ex teams that you played for. We've not had that in the past. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of former player networks is key, isn't it? And especially where you're located. If, if there's guys down there still in the area and you can draw on them to come and watch you, it just adds, adds value to that, your own match day, but also to your support base, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. And that's where uh, those first three to four years in the champ for us and when we turned professional, our player turnover was so high, um, partly because if anybody did well, they were being picked up by the premiership. If they weren't doing as well, we wanted a better level of player or we wanted to make that next step. So it's been really hard to build those um, that consistency, but I like to think we're getting there now with people like Rain Smith, um, Will Davis, um, Alan Walker, people like that, Craig Willis, that have been with us a long time now, and um, they really drive the standards of what we do. You've got Browner's come back on board as well, hasn't he? Who's got a bit of the you know he's a bit of experience from the past as well, so he can tap into that, and he understands the club, and that's another sort of string to your bow, isn't it? Having people like that in, in and around the club on a day to day basis. Yeah, and again, exactly. It's, it's different people. Tom Brown for us was someone that um, he he was the one national one with us when we went back um, up that secondary time, and. Again, the experience that he'll be able to say as someone that's been at the club and done it to some of our young players should be really valuable. Yeah, it's great. I think it's like so refreshing and interesting to hear about the development that's going on uh, with the club away from the first team. Because I think it's quite easy to see on Twitter or you might have seen examples of teams perhaps in the past where there's been money come into a club and it's all gone into the first team after a clear ambition, which is to get to the premiership. But it seems quite evident that what's going on, maybe it's because I'm around it. You see the job adverts going out for player development. You see the recruitment that's going on away from the first 15. They are actually looking to build what I'm assuming it will get onto is an intention to be a future premiership club, but there's the foundations behind it. So it's not just a case of getting the best 40 blokes to achieve that success on the field. Yeah, very much so. I think if you look at us, Three years ago, we were starting to achieve some success on the club with the British and Irish Cup wins and the Championship Cup wins. And um, I probably thought we were further down the road than what we were then. Um, we certainly weren't. And it's um, we're still nowhere near where I think the potential of this club is. But that infrastructure is massive. It all has to come hand in hand. Um, our, our, our women's programme is really important to us, not because it's the right thing to do, but because it's, exi it's, it's exciting. You watch some of the women's rugby at the moment, it's exciting to watch and um, to be able to have hand, I think we can do a really good programme hand in hand with our men's programme that actually makes each other better um, and gives a different perspective on things. So, um, yeah, I think it all has to come hand in hand for us. We know there's areas we need bigger crowds. We're just starting to really look at our off-field team as well from a commercial point of view. Um, and again, I think we're really, um, what's nice for anybody coming in here is it's almost like a blank canvas because we are so new. 
and we don't have boards of directors and we don't have a lot of probably politics within the club, things are quite easy to get done, which I think people enjoy. Yeah, I, I, I'm good friends with with Kim and Kat, actually, and I was delighted from both when they got the jobs. And you touch base with Kim and it's quite a bit and she's she can't speak highly enough of the place. And it's like that blank, like you said, a blank canvas with, with the structure of you guys behind it, supporting them as coaches as well. It's something that's completely fresh. And like you said, the... That area of the game is an area of growth, isn't it? One of the few that there is has an area of growth. So have that side of it with people like Kim and Kat involved is only going to grow your program. And then you look at sort of the Brunel link and then the old, if you go back to when you were playing the Brunel St Mary's link and then you've got all that sort of thing that disappeared for a little bit. And you can, there's an, again, there's more potential there, isn't there, for more involvement in rugby, but more more people coming to watch you and, and natural rivalries which, which drive interest and support. Yeah, 100%. All, all that stuff is absolutely spot on. And it's it's not something that happens overnight either. It is for where we want to get to it. We know it's going to take a long time as well, but it's a, it's, a, it's trying to enjoy the journey as well, which um, uh, people often say to me, and it's um, probably can be a lot more stressful than it um, sounds, but it's it's also exciting. As a as you know, as a player, when you stop playing, you miss that buzz. And um, I certainly still keep that buzz um, here because it's because of that excitement and it is exciting what's developing. So let's uh, bounce back to the first team. Then obviously we've we've gone through the, the the journey back from the London leagues, but I think pretty much since the 2016-17 season, Ethan have been a, a top four team. Uh, obviously a couple of second places in the league, and it's now primed that you're going to go into the playoff games against Saracens. Admittedly, underdogs in that game, but uh, with a shot to go to the Premiership. Um, I guess I'm not. Uh, I guess I'm not breaking rank or coming out with anything too extraordinary. Saying that the, the Premiership is the ultimate goal for the first team, Ben. Yeah, Lars, um, especially for myself and being on this journey to actually actually go up to the Premiership um, would be amazing. Um, if we went up there, the goals would change quickly to try and stay in that league and try and try and develop them. Because knowing the owner as I know him, he likes to be successful. Um, but certainly seeing the Exeter journey and the Bristol journey, as I alluded to earlier. Um, there's certainly things to aspire to. Um, there's a lot of talk around how the game develops at the moment, but until we w- we, we win the league or we win a playoff, um, we have not un- earned our right to go up there. So it's about continuing to work hard, continu- continuing to develop, but we'd love to be up there. I suppose it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because like you say, with with planning and succession planning that you, you need to have in place if you were to go up, and it's, it's, a, it's a tricky one to balance, isn't it? Because you... Again, it, you're potentially looking at a higher turnover of player if you were to go in there, and you know it's sort of how you balance that squad. And with with Saris in the league, it's it's probably I don't think I'm speaking out of turn, but it's probably a year down the line if allowed, obviously, because we don't know what the league's doing as yet. So it's it must be it's it's just a real minefield, isn't it? Especially for me, looking out, you know, I don't know how you're feeling in it, and not sort of knowing the the full structure of the league is is difficult to, to plan for. yeah there's there's obviously uncertainty and there's no um there's no definitive route at the moment as to what's going to happen um i think we've had assurances that there will promotion relegation and i like to think it will never leave because i think it's integral to our game in this country but um that that will remain um how the future structure looks i still don't know know yet and none of us do but yeah, it's, um, I, I mean, even even for normally these premiership clubs, I think that was the whole argument regarding the playoffs. A lot of the transfer stuff nowadays happens in October, November for the following summer. So to go up pretty late and then, um, especially with the way the funding is currently at the moment, it's um, virtually impossible for a championship club to take that leap 
And a lot of people will cite that, well, um, the reason for a lot of this chat around ring fencing is because no team's done it. No team's done it because it's impossible to do based on how the funding currently is and the unfairness of that. So um, I'm sure if it was equal funding in the Premiership and Championship, there'd be a lot more sides that were able to take that jump. As you say, I think that's one of the things that I quite love about the Ealing story because I think we, we're very open on this show that we're very anti-ring fencing and it seems that most fans of championship clubs seem to be. And the strength of Ealing uh, in the last couple of years and that consistent sort of challenge to the side that's come down has a main that's been jeopardy for the team to go back up. But I think it's almost kept the... Uh, not kept the wolf from the door, but I think it's kept the relevance of the league um, um, a little bit more prominent. So, yeah, I, 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 I obviously we're not we, we can only talk about what we do know here, but I, we are quite strong on the fact that we think promotion and relegation is pretty essential for the game as a whole, not just a sort of 12, 13 shareholder clubs. Yeah, I think, look, from, I don't know it's my personal view, but from my personal point of view, we, it's, a lot of people are talking about us as an opportunity to go to the Premiership. And yes, we have that with these games against Saracens. But if you look at it next year, every side in the Championship will be better because they'll have had a proper pre-season. If we end up losing a playoff, we're actually going to have the shortest pre-season out of everybody next year. So um, we'll probably be in a, a much more difficult position to start the season. But there, there are sides next year like your Coventry's, your Pirates, your Doncasters that are going to be very, very strong. So I don't think there's anything that's a foregone conclusion there. It wouldn't bother us as a club that if the team finishing top of the championship and if that was us, we had to play a team who finished bottom of the premiership. I I get that if you're not good enough, but we, we all want to have an opportunity. And if you're not good enough, you're not good enough. But it's having that opportunity to do so. And um, I, that's where we're extremely strong on that shouldn't turn around. And probably just my personal view on how the game's probably run in this country, it's as I say, even the championship at the moment, um, when we first came into it, it was pretty much full-time sides. Now you've got a real mixture of part-time teams, some teams that are fully professional, um, but they're with the budget cuts, they're really struggling to maintain that. Then you've got your sides, maybe like your Saracens, that are fully professional and fully funded as well. And you imagine at all those meetings, I it, it's probably quite difficult for everybody to agree on the right structure forward. You add the premiership to that, the RFU, it's very difficult to get a route of direction, a route of travel that everybody would agree with. But um, again, just my personal view, there should be someone at the top of the tree, the, probably the RFU that do the game for the right reasons in this country, but I understand why it's not like that. Um, and probably my personal preference would actually be a premiership one, a premiership two, two, two leagues of 10, um, where I believe this country should be able to fully fund 20 teams to a very good ability um, and fund them fairly. Yeah, and that I was going to ask you about the, the, the funding and the fairness, not necessarily in the championship, but with if for a new team going into the premiership that has no P shares, like, what is the funding? Do, do we know those figures? I don't actually know them. And it's what's the no. difference? <laughs> You know, there's like I think there's like muted. Is it two million for the relegated team? Or, or, or I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I, again, we're not entirely sure ourselves. Um, I think uh, we've signed some um, NDAs, which we're trying to hopefully find that out because you want to be able to plan going forward. But yeah. it's very um, difficult to get the information out. I understand why that they want to protect themselves and keep it um, nice and um, or not quiet, but they're worried about giving out certain information. Um, it's interesting though. I, I look, I I get both sides of it from us in our position we want to go up and 
I do believe it should be, you look at football, the team that goes up from the championship probably gets more money than some of those other premiership sides do. Same in France. Um, they're given a fair crack at the whip. Um, and that's all I think the championship clubs are asking um, is to be treated fairly. And be if they earn the right, they get that opportunity. But I also understand that even in the championship at the moment, you look, there's 11 teams in the league next year. I'm sure if there was a discussion, would you want 14 or 16 teams in there? Well, actually, that you have to rather than split the funding 11 ways, we have to split it 14 ways or 16 ways that I know which way that discussion would go for the, for those reasons. So it happens at every level, but that's where I think you need an independent regulator at the top of the game that um, r- really dictates the way that we go, which should all be for the national side. That's what I'm mean. you know, because it's, it's really insightful for me. It's sort of you, you kind of read things, you're never sure what's the truth, and for someone that's in in the middle of it, and it's it's that it's that level of fairness, and that, that you know, I, I agree with you. I think that there's enough interest and finances in the game in this country to fund 20 teams to a certain level and it's up to the clubs then to find the rest and run a business model that's successful for that club but to to fund 20 I, I don't actually think that's out, out of the question no and I, I think if you did that you'd then see if it was funded fairly with 20 teams you'd, you'd see good promotion relegation it could be 10 and 10 in the top two and bottom two have playoffs at the end of the season um cup competitions between the two leagues um, and then below that, you'd almost go with a New Zealand model with a mitre 10, but almost having where currently National 1 is now, but maybe they play at a different time of year. And a lot of those young players are playing for contracts in those top two um, divisions. Um, but it's real good rugby then. Or if someone hasn't played a huge amount in those top two divisions as a young player, they drop down and they play for a different side. But you've got to keep um, promotion relegation um, is integral to what's been exciting about our leagues. And I also think it's why we've done well as a club, um, as a country at World Cups. We're used to pressure games and they're pressure games every week in the Premiership. And I think if you take that away, um, although people have said the games have been really exciting recently in the Premiership because they're high scoring, I think if you are supporters, they'd certainly prefer, um, I know as a player, I prefer to win last minute drop goal or penalty 22-21 rather than winning a 63 points to 40 game where you're thinking we're we're terrible in defense but it's um we're going to score every time we get the ball it's certainly more satisfying anyway I have to say, Ben, whilst listening, obviously talk about some of the unknowns for next year, kind of sat putting myself as in your situation for, for recruitment uh, for next year and or the year beyond that or wherever we're going. It must be it must be tricky with the various sort of, I guess, uh, variables that are out of your control. Um, saw on social media today that Ruben Bird to look signed for you for next year. How is uh, next year's squad shaping up? Are you happy with things so far? Yeah, really well. Um, a lot of our stuff, this year, which is unusual for us, has actually been um, retention. Um, part of the reason for that is we're, we're really happy with how guys are developing and we believe that internally we've got a really good group of leaders um, and this team's got the potential to go, um, um, certainly push for that step up next year anyway. But that retention has been really important. We've had around six guys that have turned down premiership offers to stay with us um based on that as well which is the first time that that's really happened and i think they believe as well that we're on a journey and they want to be part of that journey and a big part of the journey um so that's been a big part of what we've done also bear bearing in mind that if we don't finish till around june the 19th 20th we're back into pre-season not till july the 20th 21st so it's only four to six weeks or probably four four to five weeks till you're back into pre-season games then so that was a big part of what we've done. And then 
there's a few guys that will come in and join us and hopefully add some value. Um, Ruben's one of them. I thought he's been brilliant for when he's played for Bedford this year. Really exciting, great footwork. Um, and he'll certainly um, bring a different dimension to what we've got in the midfield at the moment. That must be a real sort of pat on the back. And you must be really proud of the fact that you have got lads that have actually turned down sort of premiership deals to stay and that they believe in the vision that you've got and what you're building there. Yeah, look, it, look it's nice. Um, I think we've had guys that have gone up to the premiership in the past. Some of them have done really well. Some of them haven't played too much and it's the unknown known if they go really well potentially it's career changing money um i look at someone like uh, piers o'connor's done brilliantly for bristol he's one of the best centers in the division now um but yeah i i like to think the guys believe in what we're doing and it's probably helped this year or over the last two years when we beat london irish in a cup final we beat newcastle in pre in a pre-season game this year the sarries results i think it's given guys belief that we are on the right track for our journey um but there's a there's an awful lot of teams standing in the way of that. And as I say, it's um, in the champ, which is what's so exciting about it, is anybody can beat anybody on the day. And um, there's by no means, there's no foregone conclusion next year as to what happens. Like I said, I think there's four or five sides that if they get a couple of their signings right, but mainly about retention and a proper pre-season, I think the division is going to be an awful lot different next year. And talking about anyone being able to beat anyone, of course, we are now down to the crunch time. Is that what you're going to be saying to your lads as you go into this two-legged playoff against Saracens? Oh, 100%. For us, we've got nothing to lose. Um, as I say, look at that side that they've got. It's unbelievable. It's um, You look at some of their performances over the last couple of weeks. It's not just the way they're attacking, but the way they defend and don't allow teams into the game. Um, they're extremely well coached. Um, I'm sure next season, if they um, take that step back up to the Premiership, they're going to be in the top four. For me, they're a top four team in Europe anyway now. So um, it's exciting for us to play against them. And we learn a huge amount from when we lost against them. Um, the pressure they put on you to make mistakes. I think we gave away 24, 25 penalties in that game. And that wasn't because we were awful. They just force pressure forces you to make bad decisions. And um, for us to be able to play them twice, two weeks in a row, we've never done that before. Um, hopefully we'll learn an awful lot about ourselves, but hopefully we can push them really hard. Mate, it's, uh, it's wishing you all the best. And it's uh, like, so I think after your first game, it was like, you kind of, after it, you know where you're at, don't you? Uh, re you really do know where you're at. And then you've got three weeks to build into the first one. And really looking forward to watching it and see how, see how you fare. And wish you all the best for that, mate. I'm really looking forward to watching it. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. I think uh, that's a great note to end on. We will all be very much looking forward to the playoff games and we'll be wishing you the very best down at the Trailfinder Sports Ground. Ben, thank you very much for your time today and uh, best of luck with the playoffs. Thanks for having me. Cheers, guys. That was the Championship Club podcast with Michael Casey and Ben Gulliver. Check us out on social media at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter and subscribe and like our YouTube channel.